welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host. And we have a, a longtime friend, a decades long uh, ufologist, UFO researcher in the Chicago area, Sam Maranto. He was actually one of the first guests that I had, I don't know, maybe 10 or 20 in my show when I asked him on. And uh, we've been in touch ever since. And he's a great guy. Looking forward to talking to him tonight. Our blog uh, this week is uh, another one in the uh, the abduction researchers. You know the type that type of theme. That's uh, one more coming up, and uh, that's by Charles Lear. He does a, a great job as always. And this one in particular is about um, Woods. I'm trying to remember her first name. Um, she was a Emma Woods. Uh, the Emma Woods case, very, very famous. Um, anyway, this is all about that and uh, what people went through trying to investigate what she was uh, talking about, what happened to her uh, back then. So uh, that's it for this week's blog. The audio blogs are put in every week. So they're in the podcast feed and in the YouTube feed as well. And thank you for Charles for that. And uh he may be writing another book, and uh, I know that his first one, uh, a lot of people that listen to the show really enjoyed it a lot. So uh, we'll know more about that, and that would be another year perhaps by the time he gets that done. But anyway, I want to thank everyone that helps support the show. Anyone can do that. It's over at podcastufo.com. And I think I'm ready to bring in our guest. We're going to be talking about all sorts of things. Sam, welcome to the show. Well, it's a pleasure to be back. And it's, it's been too darn long, my friend. It's been too darn long. We haven't even had a chance to talk. I know. I know. And I remember you were at one time you were on like every other week for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seems like, yeah, I wasn't really that much, but it was a lot. You were on a lot and it's, but it's always, it's always fun to have you on. And, and uh, we have, you know, it's, it's funny uh, the last few years we've seen so many changes and that's kind of what we want to, you know, we thought would be a good topic to touch on. Uh, of course, you know, you you did a lot of great research over the years, and we can touch on all that. Someone uh, mentioned the O'Hare case, uh, 2007, uh, Gate C-17. I remember little details about it, but you look, look deeply into that. And, uh, you know, before we move on from that, I, I have said on this uh, show before about that particular case, where it seems to me that someone retired at this point, and now with the stigma of UFOs being much less than it used to be, and uh, people are coming forward more and more, I'm surprised nobody's talking about that. Have you heard anything? Yes, I have. Strangely enough, a couple of years ago, it may have been about, I'm trying to think here, it had been about 2018. Uh, I was speaking up north at a um, before a group, and a gentleman pulled me aside afterwards and he says, you know, I was a manager uh, that would handle luggage security. And I was between gates, the, the concourse C and B, when I heard all this chatter. So they were trying to rush through some, uh, some baggage and I needed to get it cleared. So he was busy paying attention to that and he couldn't get up there to see what was going on outside. So what he did is he called on, on the, uh, um, on maybe it was a cell phone or something different, uh, where he was able to talk to one of his friends who was a manager on the B concourse who was giving him uh, the, you know, the, the move by move, uh, what was going on up there. He was saying it and, and, you know, sure enough, everything he was saying was played out exactly as other people explained him. He says that thing was absolutely there. It sat there over the concourse and it shot up, leaving the gaping hole in the sky, as we've heard. And uh, as you recall, my witness in particular was referred to as J.H. in the um, technical report uh, number 10 at the NARCAP site. Uh, she had mentioned that she had seen it shoot through the sky, and when it done, when it did that, it was at a little bit. It was at a, a sharp angle, so it wasn't directly straight up. It was a little bit of an angle, and that when it happened, people were gasping and and making sounds, and like they were startled, uh, screeching. I think is one term she also used. 
that people were so startled by that. And it left left this gaping hole. Mind you, this is 6,000 feet of cloud cover that it shot through instantaneously to a blue sky above. Now, yeah. balloons don't do that. <laughs> yeah, we can we can cr cross balloon off on that list. Um, but, um, so I wonder about how many people witnessed this. It no, was and I, I know, uh, you know, Kurt, the Kurt Russell thing. No, and I'm wait a minute, I'm confusing that with the Phoenix Lights. Um, but I wonder how many people saw that from the sky. Well, uh, yeah, that's ahead. a good point. That's a good point. There were there was a um, uh, an individual who was flying in who made a report. Um, it was to. Uh, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think now. Robert Powell. And it was given to me, and I have that uh, in my collection. And the the husband, it was the husband of a military personnel. So he filed a report, and they actually had seen something uh, in the sky while they were coming in. Now, mm -hmm. th the other thing is there were other people, there have been other people coming forward. And uh, uh, a good friend of ours, another person in the field, is supposed to introduce me to some folks that, who are pilots that are, are willing to come forward now and talk about that event. They were warned, by the way, pilots were warned that something was seen and that they did alter the uh, flight patterns. They didn't stop the flight patterns from coming in, but it it did change its uh, the format. It did change and a warning went out. So. That did take place. That object sat there for about 20 minutes over the sea concourse. It was seen by well over 100 people. So it does classify as the category that I love to work on, mass sightings. Right. Now, the FCC, did they, uh, that is the, the right FAA. organization. FAA, pardon me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Off That's my right. elbows here. The FAA, uh, something didn't sound right about that. Uh, <laughs> did it seems to me, you know, this is such a, an endangerment of life. You know, it seems like they would have taken that more seriously. I know they didn't want to talk about it. Um, do you think that attitude has changed now with uh, the way things are going with the FAA? Yes, I, mean, I, I would say it has changed. Um, just to give some sort of background and history of UAL, that was uh, United Airlines, was uh, that was their kind, you know, they were there and that was their personnel and plane that was there going to North Carolina. Uh, they had just gotten out of bankruptcy that February, as I recall. So uh, they may may have not wanted been not uh, noted as being the uh, extraterrestrial airlines. So I think that was one of the reasons it was a, a concern uh, of just getting over one hump, not into and, you know, get into another scenario uh but no i they're getting people to do that they're they're getting pilots to to give reports that's happening uh that should have been happening all along you know i mean in my opinion yes yes it's happening now we have a an inch, interesting question should i take that sure yes go ahead okay did each eyewitness on the ground see the cloud cut uh, at least those individuals in that area, and that wasn't the sea concourse. That was from the international concourse that they were, that my witness was seeing that, but it had been confirmed by everybody that was watching it at that time that would have been able to see that. So this wasn't just one or two people. Uh, the My witness, by the way, was a, her background is a military brat. Her father was a, uh, a captain of a helicopter um, wing for the Navy. And she grew up at various locations. She knew military jargon. In fact, she was very good explaining stuff uh, as far as the detail uh, in military jargon. And then what was interesting about it is the person that she was with was a doctor from Bulgaria and she, the two of them were there with, with uh, reading glasses and they were holding them at an angle so they could get uh, a better view. 
And uh, that's when it shot through the, the clouds. But they were there waiting for a friend of theirs who was an American Airlines pilot. And uh, he, was, he flew in on United Airlines. And when he got off, they pulled him aside and they asked him, uh, there, were per, there was personnel there, asking him if by any chance he's seen anything. And he had no clue what on earth they're talking about. So when he, when he got outside and, and he talked to her, he said, you have to come forward because she said there were people taking photographs, videos were being uh, made, and we need to have people come forward. So he was the one that encouraged her to come forward. And I met her through Above Top Secret. Um, uh, I had gotten a hold of Mark over there from Above Top Secret and asked him uh, if this person would be kind enough to contact me. He gave her my email address along with a few other folks. My witness actually spoke to three people. Um, uh, Dr. Haynes also, and also uh, uh, to Linda Moulton Howe. And uh, I interviewed her three times, and unfortunately appears that she had she had passed away uh, soon after February of that year. Hmm. Hmm. Well, so there was actually some photos and video, but have they ever surfaced that you're aware of? Some of the photos did focus of uh, uh, come, you know, come to the forefront. Uh, some of them were were obviously hoaxes, and they were uh, they were analyzed. The one in particular that I think is is genuine is the one that uh, uh, I've I've shown a few times. Uh, it's also the one that my my um, uh, witness and her her friend say looks exactly like what they had seen and by the way what's also interesting about her uh, analysis is that she was trying to consider what was the composition of this in other words what sort of material was this that she was looking at and by the way it was moving in a counterclockwise direction and is is what it appeared like but she felt that it had it, it almost had a surface that that could have been something more along the line of a ceramic. So just to give you an idea how how her uh, her thought pattern was moving along. And uh, I find that interesting. Hmm. Hmm. And just for the person that um, I always have to keep in mind, those new people listening all the time. This happened back in 2017. What time of the year was that? This was actually um, November. I mean, 2007, I mean. Yeah, it was November the 7th, 2006 at approximately 2006. Yes. Oh, I have my year. But old. see the no, it's hard it's easy to get mixed up because it was the 7th of November. Oh. And it was 2006, but it didn't break. Remember, it didn't break until they started covering it on the news and in the um Tribune, which would have been January. So um, I didn't even know about it. In fact, the night that that had happened, I was on the phone with Dave Marler and uh, I was we were having a conversation because we were supposed to get and we did. We got together that uh, that weekend because I was taking over the uh, state director uh, position for MUFON and he was going to be moving out of town. So uh, he was on the phone with me and I got, we got interrupted. Uh, because Peter Davenport was calling Dave and he didn't even fill me in what, what, why he called him, yeah. you know, basically yeah, he had so much out of his mind at the time. Plus at that point, uh, um, Davenport was really trying to keep it, uh, keep it quiet because the two individuals that contacted him contacted them while they were at work. And he was very, con they were very concerned about losing their jobs. Hmm. So, and then of course the point person was going to be, um, Richard Haynes, Dick Haynes. So, uh, Peter talked to me, I, we, we talked about it and I got a hold of Rodiger and actually Rodiger called me, Mark Rodiger from Kufos, you know, we're good, very yep. good friends. Yeah. And, uh, he says, why aren't we on this? Why aren't we working on this? I go, I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. And he fills <laughs> me in. And I called Marley goes, yeah, well, I forgot to tell you here. I was down there by his house 
in Edwardsville at the time. <laughs> he forgot all about this, you know, but uh, he wasn't filled in um, uh, on, on all the detail. Neither were we, were we until uh, the ball started rolling. And, you know, Hilkovich did file FOIAs and uh, so did uh, Haynes, Dr. Haynes and uh, Bill Puckett. In fact, he did a, most of the, the filings, very good uh, filings for us. So we did get the radar data. Uh, didn't things The information didn't come in as quick as they thought it would. It trickled in. And um, as far as people that I spoke to, I spoke to, I think it's four people right now is where I'm up to, but I hope to have some more. All right. So I'd like to change gears here because uh, – we wanted to kick around a couple of uh, topics tonight. And one of them is, uh, and this is more or less your idea, your idea is, uh, uh, do you feel that we're on the brink of making some sense on the UAP UFO topic? Or are we just getting led or pushed through another rabbit hole, so to speak? I mean, you've seen these things happen similar over the years where uh, there seems to be uh, it seems to be talked about in more of a public forum and then bang, the content committee comes along or something like that happens and says nothing to see here. Do you think, how do you feel things are going in general? Well, and people think, well, is this, was this all planned? Is this all, I don't know, but I could tell you emotionally how it, how, what it does. It, uh, when you have, say for instance, in January, we have this, um, this, this, uh, uh, you know, back room uh, closed session of the uh, special select committee on intelligence. Uh, and all of a sudden they're getting briefings on from people we know, which gave some yeah. incredible briefings. And uh, all of a sudden we get the report out, the uh, sanitized report uh, from, uh, from the, uh, uh, you know, from, from this process and everything. And uh, the end result is a matter of what, a few weeks later, we have this Chinese balloon being called a UFO in the sky, taking, yeah. taking, taking uh, the, the media in all sorts of directions, which I thought was a little bit over the, over the edge for what they should be covering. I, I thought it was, the coverage was too hype. And they kept on using the term UFO in there. And here my buddy takes a picture of it. Yeah. How, on, how on earth, you know, I mean, how, that, you talk it, about it, synchronicity, man. That is just unbelievable. Yeah. For most people uh, have heard me say this, but if, you, if you're just listening to the show and didn't listen to the past show, I happened to get out of a car right underneath the Chinese balloon. I took this picture and videos. And I had absolutely no idea. I was in, in Myrtle Beach. I had no idea that this thing had floated over that way. <laughs> I was just totally, totally, uh, totally shocked. Here's another. Uh, Looking at the it, Chinese it all out. And when it gets over the ocean, they're sending oh, yeah. one from Virginia. Fighter jets coming to look at it. I had I had no idea what was going on. You know, I mean, it, it just. It, it was just a fun coincidence. That is crazy, man. That yeah. is crazy. But here we have this going on. And were you shocked when they start calling it using the terminology UFO or UAP? Yeah. Well, the uh, when the uh, they were shooting down the others, that's when they started calling them, you know, they're unidentified. They shot down unidentified objects and, you know, almost like the Roswell thing, you know, the army air force shoots down flying disc, you know, like these little blips get out there, these, and I don't know how many people made their um, headlines, you know, for clickbait. I don't know, but they sure did. You know, I don't know what the government was actually saying or not saying they were, but you know, it's kind of funny how the whole, we're not hearing much about it or what they were. The others, uh, I know one was some type of science project or something, uh, which it was kind of a joke that uh, my friend was talking about. That's probably what it was and ends up one of them was, but um, we're not hearing about the other two that are, you know, there's really, it's kind of quiet. Yeah. And, and here we had a, we had a, uh, a WAC, <clears throat> out over the um, area. In fact, uh, 
in Illinois, over Lake Michigan into Huron. And see, these are areas where we do have high incidence of UFO activity going back for the longest period of time. Um, in fact, there's another case that I hopefully will break in a year, a year or so, um, going back to 1971. But uh, we also had U-2 planes flying around. Um, there were helicopters in that area where the thing was, the object was shot down. Uh, Canadian and uh, uh, U.S. Uh, Coast Guard. So the bottom line is there was a lot of activity going on for a while for and concern for just a potential balloon. There we got a nice AWAC. Yeah. And, you know, we see them every once in a while, not much. But then a U-2, I mean, really? Uh, for what is supposedly a balloon? So yeah. I, 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 I'm a little concerned about that, and they couldn't find it. Well, which that and that would be common if it is a genuine UAP UFO. Uh, they're going to be hard to shoot down. You could shoot them down, and we have the technology that I think can do that, but it's not the easiest thing to do. Now, the one up in Alaska, remember that one? The yes. one that's supposedly like a Tic Tac, and it's yeah. on the ice, and you can't recover that? Come on. What I mean, someone's, that one yeah. in particular is kind of bizarre. Yeah, that is. If it's on yeah. the ice, sure, you could recover it. You would think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they have these things called helicopters. <laughs> yes. It seems like it would be kind of a no brainer. But yep. Yeah. So do you think um, I, I have noticed, too, and you mentioned this in the little note that you sent me about how the key players from the past kind of taking a back seat in some sense to the many new personalities. I agree with that. I see, I see a lot of new personalities. I have no idea where these people came from and all of a sudden they're hot on the topic of UFOs and they're plastered all over the TV and, you know, and all that. And, um, and it's, it's, it's very interesting. I'm really glad that more people are getting in, into the, the subject though. I mean, that's the really positive part of this whole thing. Absolutely. You know, being and a lot of these people who are who basically have been front and center and and cornered, you know, the market, per se. And what would what could be a cot, uh, a cottage industry industry in some people's eyes instead of something a little more dedicated. And, and I could understand that. But the bottom line is we need more individuals. We need more qualified people coming forward as, as, you know, investigative researchers. In addition to, I'm so happy we're getting the whistleblowers per se, and the uh, individuals that, that have been quiet for years about this the subject matter. Mm -hmm. What we do we need is to have maybe um, a long talk with the people who are trying to distract and basically bait us in the media uh, as you could see, Neil Tyson DeGrasse, uh, I don't know, putting his names and put those three names in the proper order, but uh, uh, he's, uh, you know, a person with three names. That's wild. Um, but that's common, you know. Uh, the the thing here is he, he keeps talking about the it's only Navy pilots, which is not the case. That's true. Point. And then he keeps talking about the crowdfunding of people with 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 cell phones, and right. they're not getting anything except blurry blurry photographs. I want to see blurry because they're moving, okay. And the other thing is, if they're genuinely using anti gravitic um, uh, propulsion or technology, uh, something that's uh, affecting gravity, it's 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 very likely going to affect the optics or photons or at least the um, uh, the atmosphere around it. So in other words, no, this is what we've been seeing, especially with digital format. And uh, when you get that absolutely perfect photo in a digital format, you really have to be uh, concerned about the, the quality of the authenticity of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know since when, um, People have declared that uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is a UFO expert, but he seems <laughs> to be on all of these shows, you know, just saying that there, you know, th there's nothing to it basically. And yep. it is, it is, uh, uh, 
it's discouraging because, you know, he gets so much press and so, you know, I mean, so much exposure and so many people listen to what he says. And, uh, uh, you know, he's not, he's not talking like a scientist when he's discussing these things. He's just, uh, you know, doing this by proclamation as Stanton Friedman used to say. And that's not what a scientist would, would, would do. Uh, you've heard a lot of people in the military, for instance, some big names, and they come forward and they say, well, we don't know what it is, so we're referring to it as an object at this point. And that's proper. If they don't know what it is and it appears to be an object, and heck, you know, we're talking NORAD. NORAD can pick up something the size of a, a golf ball up there in, you know, in outer space if need be, if they, and they do to monitor uh, all the nonsense of the, the debris up there. We have so much garbage floating up in outer space from satellites and whatever. But the thing is, he, he, they keep falsely throwing out this information. The other thing is Navy pilots, they always refer to Navy pilots as if somehow uh, a Navy pilot is a lesser pilot than some other type of pilot when you reiter- reiterate it that much. And uh, uh, learn a little bit about Top Gun, my friend, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah Navy pilots, all right? Navy and Marine pilots are kick ass. Get it yeah. in your head. They're excellent. And uh, Fravor is Top Gun, okay? He's a graduate from Top Gun. I think he was an instructor for a while, too. So, I mean, these people are not idiots. Yeah. And last I heard, he never flew an F-18, 16, or for that, for what I, uh, whatever I know, even a, a kite. I don't know. But uh, um, you don't go pushing people around or making people like that sound like they don't know what they're talking about. And the other thing is, we're not talking, he never mentions motion. These things move at god-awful speeds. We That's have, right. We have technology that is so advanced, and yet he talks about the Webb telescope, and we can't see any aliens out there. Sure, all that's time lapse, and it's and it's they're filtered and everything else, and they're not looking for aliens. They're looking for galaxies. My God, how imbecilic! Right, right. Speaking of that, next week's guest is Carol Olsiliak. I don't know how to pronounce his name properly, but he was on the uh, USS Ronald Reagan uh, during uh, UFO encounters. He's on next week. So that should be pretty interesting. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah I, I actually spoke to a guy uh, who was on the, who had a UFO sighting on the first uh, nuclear uh, submarine, of course, or not submarine, but uh, aircraft carrier, which was the, um, uh, of all things, um, in nine, when was it 1959 or 60? I think it was uh, the Enterprise, but I'm trying to think the year it was um, It was commissioned. I think it was 59 or 60. It came back from its world cruise, I know, in 62, because I was there in Seattle on the deck uh, when they mm. had their big party. It came back from their world cruise. But uh, this gentleman said when he was out on the deck, he had seen something in back of the ship so he goes back and looks and lower than the ship itself right above the waterline basically trailing them was a ufo and and this wasn't the first time it had been a common occurrence so back to paying attention to what type of objects or ships or locations anything with a nuclear signature um and, you know, here's something of interest or piques their curiosity, not balloons. I'm talking about the genuine articles. Oh, OK, I want to I want to pop this opinion up here. Um, ufology has made no progress in seven years. Shouldn't there be a discussion about methodology? What what type of methodology could be done in favor of making progress? You know, there are people out there trying to do scientific equipment. There's several people that are engaged in that, even um, Avi Loeb and the uh, Galileo Project. And, um, you know, Mark D'Antonio has something going on, and there's there's several more. Um, So um, and then there's that crowdsourced situation. I'm going to have Alejandro Rojas back on soon. He's involved in something. 
So, I mean, there's so much out there. I mean, we are, I think we are trying to change things in the technology that we have um, to gear it toward discovering more and more what these things are. What do, what do you think, Sam? Well, after 70 years, we, we have more than enough anecdotal evidence. And by the way, the vast majority of reports we get, you know, 90 some percent of what we get is identified. And uh, I'm, I'm fortunate to be uh, part of the uh, um, photo analysis team. And uh, uh, there are four of us and, and there's going to be more. And of course, Mark's uh, been involved for ages. And so we really tear this stuff apart. And of course, what we see is more IFOs, misidentifications of, of many different things. And gosh, you know, we have more objects being put in the sky, these Starlinks, et cetera. Oh, but yeah. as far as from a scientific uh, a point of view, uh, this is something I've been, as you know, for ages pushing and pushing the scientific uh, uh method uh, or creating a scientific method, bringing ufology uh, into the world of being something recognized as a science, not pseudo in any which way or form, but genuinely a science. And uh, uh, this is something that, that needs to be addressed and is being addressed. Uh, but in, in many instances, it just remains entertainment, unfortunately. And there's a comfort level in that. And I think that plays into the hand of uh, keeping this at bay from people. Believe me, that is a huge component of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you were talking earlier about, you know, the people that we know were interviewed and testified or interview, interviewed at least um, by the Pentagon. And uh, Bob Salas is one of those people about the Maelstrom Air Force Base case. And uh, I, I, I'm really happy to hear because, you know, when they last year, when they had that uh, congressional meeting about UAP, they weren't the, the board that was working on that. They had no idea of, about any of these nuclear incidents in the past. And I mean, if that's not, if that's not, uh, you know, security, uh, you know, I don't know what is if that's not. Yeah, that is the that is the peak. It, that that is the highest degree of of national security when it comes to, uh, you know, our arsenal being compromised, and not just mm-hmm. our airspace. Like O'Hare was a compromise of Class B airspace. That's frightening enough. You know, we that the the concern of uh, a safety of flight is huge, and this has always been a concern. Um, I've dealt with enough uh, ATC uh, personnel. In fact, one of my investigators was an ATC uh, retired personnel, and he had a sighting in Puerto Rico that was incredible. And that was viewed by uh, multiple members uh, of of his uh, staff. Um, So, I mean, this was... This was something that inspired him. So we have safety of flight, national security in the sense of from a military point of view and uh, nuclear arsenals. And that's where I hope to, if I have enough courage and do it properly, bring something out within the course of a year or two, um, as long as I don't get whacked in the process, would be along the lines of something really important. Um, If this is a very serious matter. And I think people have to realize these events do take place. And uh, as far as getting back to the science, you know, um, we hear so many of these so-called skeptics and they're, they're, they're cynics that to be skeptical is fine, but most of these people are cynics and uh, uh, playing into the hand of, of uh, keeping this at bay from the general public. But uh, as far as physical trace evidence, and they want an ashtray, well, we have a hell of a lot more than ashtrays. There are some 6,000 physical trace evidence cases, and uh, that information needs to go before the uh, Select Committee uh, on Intelligence for Congress. Mm -hmm. uh, The last week I had uh, Julie Olson on, who had, you know, supposed some type of evidence that uh, appeared where she saw these things shoot out of a a UFO. Um, And she has that object. And I've been trying 
There's no follow-up yet for the listeners, but I've been trying to uh, get a uh, hold of Gary Nolan on that particular thing. And not that he's a metallurgist. It's just that he's a safe place to get this thing started and have it looked at. Yes. Now, I've had, uh, you may recall the um, uh, the case I had where the car, they, call, they made, there's been uh, a few shows on it where the side of the car looked like it was hit by something. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. It's called the Lake Cook uh, car incident. And that was back in November. It was November the 8th, I believe, of 2008 that it took place. Anyways, uh, the evidence there was brought to a lab, and somebody came in saying that they were to retrieve it and uh, used and supposed to have some other tests. There was nobody supposed to be in there. They took that evidence. Then when I went to retrieve the side of the car that was available to me, uh, I went there and the manager said it was in the back in the in the shop and that they would bring it up there. Uh, he came back looking very puzzled and um, he was back there for a while. And he says, uh, well, it's not there. I go, what do you mean it's not there? And he says, I can't really discuss this anymore. A uh, gentleman came in here, said that he was you and it was given to them. And that's it. It's gone. So, I mean, even if you give evidence to somebody, doesn't mean it's going to be A, um, it's going to be looked at unless they could assure it some way or form with the degree of security that they aren't going to be threatened or compromised uh, or that it's going to be lifted one way or another with or without their knowledge or replaced. Hmm. So in that particular case, did the car's driver have any health effects? No health effects, but I there is, and I love that question because her mental state was really why, in the first place, the case ended up in my lap, and that the case was from Narcat, was from excuse me, New Fork. Uh, Peter Davenport received the case. The mother of this this young lady called because she thought. Uh, it was something potentially demonic. Hmm. Uh, what was very interesting is that side of the car was all, if you took a beer can and uh, were to suck out the air of a beer can and have it all collapse like that, that's what it looked like. There was no transfer. The, the sheen of the paint was dull only in that area. Hmm. The, um, the, the driver's side mirror had been, broken off she heard that when she was driving and her car was moved to the center lane she couldn't figure out what happened she heard the sound and and she looked for in the rearview mirror and there was no rearview mirror she pulls over to the side a side street and looks out and the whole side of the car is all smashed in and the and the the mirrors hanging there with the back of it broken so, mind you, something was uh, strong enough and powerful enough and fast enough to take and move that mirror into the A-pillar, which is which surrounds your windshield. Mm -hmm. It hit the A-pillar, left a deep indentation in there. Now, that's the strongest part of the, of the, the uh, car. It's the roll cage right. of the car. Yeah, if the car rolls on its roof, that supports it. Correct. Yeah. And it left this huge indentation by plastic. Well, plastic isn't as strong as metal. So to increase that, you have to increase velocity to equal matter, the, the, the strength of the matter. So the velocity had been pretty intense, and she was driving some 40 miles an hour when this happened. Uh, the police officer picked it up, and he kept on flipping it over and scratching his head trying to figure out how could this happen? And the glass isn't even broken. Not even a scratch. There was no transfer anywhere on that car showing a type of impact. There was nothing seen. So from my point of view, I couldn't say it was a UFO. All I could say is something unseen uh, by the witness did transpire. There was cause and effect by something. And uh, I could just leave it like that. Um, Something weird transpired, but I can't say it was a UFO. It was some sort of energy 
there was cause and effect. Here's a uh, interesting um, question. I don't know about public debates. We've tried to get them together. One of them uh, was actually with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Someone wanted to to uh, <laughs> debate him. But um, I don't know how much progress the debates in the past have made before. You know, I remember Stanton Friedman and uh, uh, who am I, Seth Shostak had a debate. Um, I think there was uh, uh, Philip Glass and someone else had a debate. I don't know if they move seem to move things forward. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think what would really move things forward is if we were allowed to bring forth the information that is kept at bay. That would mm -hmm. just put it to, to just finish it. Uh, but that's not going to happen because this is above and beyond. You could see just in the way things have been handled uh, recently, it, it, it is above and beyond uh, top secret. And, and it is a matter of national security and has always been. Um, more so, it, you remember, uh, understand something. National security is preservation of the status quo. The powers that are are the first time in history able to monitor and maintain that position. So why would they forfeit it? And the other thing is any sort of revelation to anything other that, that may be a threat to a, um, let's say, a paradigm shift, which is really going to shake things up, uh, I think this is testing the water in some way. Uh, you have these objects are being seen, and they were supposedly shot down. They're in the news for a while. Yes, there's a lot of noise talk, you know, talking about it. Nobody jumped off a bridge or out of a you know twenty story building. The the market didn't collapse. So you know it isn't fear that's driving this. There's something else. Right. Right. Well, it'll be interesting to see as time goes on, you know, what what will happen. You know, I, I don't know. You know, I have, I have mixed feelings about it all. I have mixed feelings that um, I'd like to see that we're going to make some progress with the government involved and looking into these things. I just don't know what the transparency is going to be, especially at a point if they discover, actually discover things and find out things that we don't know at this point um, what we're actually going to learn about it because they could put in about anything under the umbrella of national security at this point. I think if we were to make a prediction as far as what's going to happen, we're going to see the release of, of, of new technology in the world of what may be perceived as UAPs or UFOs, advancements. And that's going to come forward, I think, slowly but surely. And the reason why is I don't think it's just um, our, our, let's say, our contractors that have made advancements, but also other countries uh, made advancements. Now, we keep hearing, I just heard the other day, Eric Weinstein talk about that there's no way this technology could be, you know, even closely, you know, made um here on earth from what he understands of, of physics and he's a brilliant man, uh, mathematical physicist and uh, others. I don't know if that's the case in point. I have a very strong, more than a strong feeling. I have a good inkling that this technology or a percentage of, or something similar has been in our grasp or the grips of uh, contractors uh, for some time. Right, right. Well, um, you know, they're not the um, when you hear like a skeptics, a skeptics version of what these things are that we're seeing today, they always have amnesia or do not know about what has been seen in the past. You know, many decades ago with a similar, you know, activity, similar, you know, responses and, and travel and and, uh, you know, the 90 degree angles at 5,000 miles an hour, um, you know, that type of thing have been spotted since the 60s, you know, 50s, actually. So it's uh, it, they, they never want to keep that, you know, uh, the, the, when they're debating or they're out there and they're, they're talking about that it has to be our technology on here on Earth. 
um, you know, that's that's what they, they, no one seems to confront them on that part of it. Yeah, the historical and, and people ask me all the time, what is the best evidence? So if, if Dr. Richard there, if I were to were in a debate, I would say the best evidence is the historical perspective. It can't be erased. And the historical perspective, what I'm talking about, precedes anything that is that is the uh, um, we consider the manic uh, the the a period of time where machinery was even involved. I'm talking all the way back to uh, the 1500s and well beyond that. There are depictions of things on cave drawings. Again, they're depictions that resemble and possibly uh, represent something similar to this, but we don't know. The thing is, you can't discount that. You can't say that's evidence, but it's something there. Now, in the 15th century, you can, and even earlier than that, a very good book, Wonders in the Sky by uh, Scott Aubeck and, and uh, Jacques Vallée. If you get mm -hmm. your hands on that and you read those historical perspective, historical accounts, it gives you a, a perspective on this phenomena that it has a uh, it, it has been around long enough that it has a pedigree of being genuine and it cannot be dismissed. So are we looking at the same thing? You betcha. It may be a little bit different. It's just different eyes and different ways of saying the same thing. Uh, again, nomenclatures, uh, you know, it's flaming chariots. It's uh, um, one thing or another, UFOs, UAP, um, ghost ships, um, the area uh, the airship phenomena of a very good, very good series of uh, studies there. The right. 1896 and 97, much of those 1500 reports, when you read them and you get past the bunk, there are, there was goofy stuff going on, but you read those reports and you see that they do match the characteristics and, and of things that have been seen, uh, you know, throughout history and currently. So, uh, no, the bottom line is the, the historical perspective cannot be dismissed. And I'm tired of hearing that all this phenomena took place in 1947, uh, you know, by uh, Kenneth Arnold. And that was it. That's the birth of, uh, of the UFO era. Call it whatever you want. This stuff's been around since the advent of human rec recorded history. This is a really fun thing, Sam. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but this is the uh, Simeon Perkins Diary of 1796. This is uh, October 12th. And they talk about basically some ships in the sky, uh, yep. with people on them, you know, and, uh, and and in this description here, it will it'll go deep into uh, what they look like. Um, and it wasn't of the imagination that it was saying here. Um, but anyway, it's a great uh, article. Anyone can look that up. Uh, Perkins Diary, October 12th, 1796, uh, UFO. That's uh, You can find that online, which I think is fascinating. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah the thing is, you stop what it would disturb. I think, uh, um, I think Stephen Greer came up with a great line. It said, the disclosure of this, the revelation, you know, as far as that goes, call it whatever you want, is only going to change everything. And I think that is a problem. If you can't maintain the control, we have a problem. And that's why I think these people that are showing up today in this field are very manageable because they have something at stake to lose. And if you have something to lose, you can be managed. Hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I don't, I don't know what, what do you think would change if all of a sudden, well, just to let you know, we're about four minutes. We'll have about four minutes left. So um, it went really fast as usual. So what do you think would change? Like if all of a sudden tomorrow there was uh, an, a huge amount of evidence that could not be denied that we are being visited by extraterrestrials or even if it was interdimensional or something like that. But anyway, what do you think would change if we had so much evidence it couldn't be denied? Uh, very little, quite honestly, as far as the, mm -hmm. the individual themselves, very little. The conversations would be interesting at the coffee, you know, the coffee, uh, 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 getting coffee at your, at work, but 
beyond that, I think it, it would take so it would take some time to set in and then things are going to react. It that definitely will react. I would say the the biggest group would be academia. Uh, they would have the hardest part because all of a sudden their Eiffel Towers have been shaken, that there's something out there that is smarter than, than them and our science needs to be uh, rethought. You know, that uh, Newtonian physics isn't, it, it isn't everything. And that, uh, you know, the bottom line is it's a lot greater than what we could ever imagine. And that's all right. What's wrong with that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I too, I too uh, think that also that um, I think that people would move on. The average person's going to move on to their daily activities because they, everyone's looking to survive and, you know, and, and you know, about the next paycheck or whatever it is. Um, you know, I think that things would change, but not in a point where, you know, it's going to disrupt the world. I don't believe Um Unless there was a problem, unless these were mean-spirited beings in some way that were somehow threatening. But um, if so, you know, that certainly would change everything. But I think if it was just the fact that we are being visited and these are actually beings from, say, another planet, something like that. And we don't know. And we don't know where they're from. It's interdimensional. You know, the time. there are so many different things. And years ago, I always told you it was it's a multiplicity of phenomena. And we're, yeah. we're running short on time here. And I know that this discussion could go on for hours. Yeah. But uh, I'd like to close up here on my end, just say thank you very much for having me back on. I love your audience. I love being on talking with my friend here about the subject of uh, that occupies 99% of my time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of my time as well. Thank you, Sam, so much. It's always, it's always a pleasure. You're a good friend and thank you for coming on again. You're most welcome. All right. Bye. All right, everyone. So that's it for the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, next week we have uh, Carl Olesik. Olesik. I don't know how exactly how to pronounce his last name. I'm going to find out. And uh, he is someone that was on the uh, USS Ronald Reagan. I believe it was uh, 2000. It's in the 2000s when they had uh, their UFO encounters, and that's plural. And uh, so we'll be talking to him about that and a lot more. Thank you all. Um, and remember to keep your eyes to the sky.